Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this wonderful, beautiful morning. And God, I pray as we look into your word that our hearts will be open. And God, I just pray, Lord, change some lives this morning. I I pray we'll hear, we'll hear what we need to hear, God, and we will respond in the way we need to respond, God, to leave here different. We love you and we praise your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you give the band a hand for a great job? And good morning. It is great to see all of you here on this Easter day. If you're watching via the internet, it's great to see you or have you with us this morning also. I've got my children's minister wanting to bury instead of baptize. I think the pastor may have to start baptizing again, everyone, correct? That's kind of scary. How many of you were here last week? Were any of you here last week? We, uh, our, our administrator, Clayton, I don't know where Clayton is, but Clayton told some really horrible jokes. And one of our church members, a guy named, there's Clayton at the back door, a guy named David Hilton sent me a joke to try to recover from Clayton's uh, abuse last week of comedy abuse. Clayton was driving this week down the road, and he, now it's going to end well, so don't panic. He hit a, a large bunny, and he got out, and he looked at it, and there were Easter eggs everywhere, and Clayton realized he had hit the Easter bunny. It's going to end well, don't panic. But he killed him. My wife, Cindy, comes driving up behind him. Cindy's a beautician going to the beauty shop. She sees Clayton crying on the side of the road. She gets out. What's wrong? She, he says, I killed the Easter bunny. Cindy gets out and looks, and there's this giant bunny with eggs laying all around it. And she says, wait right here. I think I may have something that will help with this. She goes back to her, her car and gets in one of her bags. You know, women have about eight bags in their vehicles. And she brings out some spray, and she sprays it all over the Easter bunny, and he jumps up. He gathers the eggs, and he starts hopping to the woods, and he turns around, and he waves. He hops about 10 more yards, turns around, waves. He does that all the way till he disappears in the woods. And Clayton said, what did you spray on that bunny? And he looks at it, and it says, hairspray, guaranteed to revive dead hair and creates a permanent wave. We will interpret that joke for some of you comedically challenged later on. I, I was talking to someone the other day, and they were talking about humor in the church, and someone where they went to church didn't like humor. And I said, you know, listen, heaven, they're laughing today. I don't know what all's going on in hell, but they are not laughing today. Amen? So we're going we're gonna to try to find joy. Yeah, we're going to be in John chapter 20 and 21 this morning, if you have a Bible. If you don't, that's no problem. The Scriptures will be on the screens. Let me give you a foundational thought to everything that Christianity's built on and what this sermon is going to be built on, and that's this. Jesus arose from the dead. Jesus arose from the dead. Everything rises and falls on whether that happened or not, and I'm certainly going to do my best to convince you that it did if you need any convincing this morning. There was a a man and his wife went to Israel, and they took their mother-in-law, his mother-in-law, her mother, along with them. Mother-in-law was in pretty good condition, but she was 90 years old, and while they were in Jerusalem, she passed away. And so the man goes to the customs people in the airport, and he says, what's it going to cost, you know, if I bury, you know, to to take my mom-in-law home or bury her? And they they say, you can bury her in Israel for $100, and she'll be buried in the Holy Lands. 
or it'll take you $10,000 to fly her home. The man didn't bat an eye and says, I'll pay $10,000 right now. The guy said, I'm just curious, why were you so quick to do that? He said, buddy, 2,000 years ago, they say they buried a man, a dead man here, and he came back to life. I'm not taking that chance on my mother-in-law. In chapter 20, verse 1... Chapter 20, verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had not been taken away from the tomb. Now, guys, this is very important. Mary Magdalene, that Magdala was a community. That's like saying Jesus of Nazareth, Mary of Magdala. She's a lady Jesus had cast out seven demons from. So her, her bond to Jesus was deep and it was real. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell this story. Different eyewitness accounts give a little different thought. But here's a really important thing. They were not going to the tomb to worship and sing praise songs because Jesus was alive. They thought he was dead, that he was dead. They were going to the tomb to finish the burial rituals that they could not finish on Friday. That's very important. They were not going looking for Jesus to be walking around outside the tomb. So she gets there, and, and the, she runs to Simon Peter, verse 2, two through 4, and the other disciple, the other disciple's John, who God used to write this. This is funny. The one whom Jesus loved. Did you get that? She went and got Simon Peter and the one whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, they have taken the Lord. She thought somebody stolen his body. She didn't think he had arisen. We don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. As they were going toward the tomb, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb. Now, do you get the humor there in the Bible? John, God's writing this through John, but here's the humble brag. The disciple Jesus loved the most. Did you get that? And by the way, Peter and I were racing to the tomb, and I outran him. Can't you see somebody putting that on Facebook today? Man, Jesus loves you, but he loves me a little bit more. And I was running with Scott Simmons the other day to the tomb, and, you know, I got there first. The Bible's so real. Verse 5, and he stooped to look in. This is John. And he saw the linen clothes lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths there and the face cloths, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. It's so funny. Peter is aggressive, man. When Peter gets to the tomb, he doesn't peek in. He runs in. Now, folks, all the nuances in here is important. If you're going to steal a dead body, you're not going to unwrap it from its grave clothes and leave its grave clothes uh, in there, the, the, the head cloth was probably what they bound his jaw with to, to keep it from opening after he died, and it's folded neatly at where his head was. You don't do that if you're stealing a body. And then verse 8, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, he throws that back in there, also went in and he saw, listen, and he believed. That word believed, man, if you're taking notes, is a great word. That's the word for becoming a Christ follower. Now, listen, John was already a follower of Jesus. But this is the word that means I believe the facts and I commit my life to them. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he, had, he, he died. Listen, the devil believes that. But uh, this believing here means I believe so I surrender my life. I repent of my sins and I follow Jesus. Listen, John had a fresh experience with Jesus Christ that morning. 
In verse 9 and 10, it says, For as yet they did not understand the Scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Rise means to stand up. Listen, when a dead person stands up, that's significant. Would you agree with me? Man, I've done and been to a lot of funerals. I've never, and I'm probably glad, seen the dead person stand up in the middle of the funeral. That kind of freaked everybody out. Jesus stood up is what it was saying, but, but they were still they were puzzled. John believed, Peter's confused, and then they leave is what it says. But Mary stays in verse 11 through 16. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She didn't think he was alive, folks. She thought he'd been stolen. And, and then she peeks in the tomb, and she sees two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at his feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken my Lord, not that Jesus had written, they've taken my Lord. I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Last time she'd seen Jesus, he was a bloody mess of death. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Verse 16 is a pivotal verse. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned in Aramaic and said, Rabbi, which means teacher. When she heard his voice call her name, she knew exactly who it was. You know, the Bible says that that those who know Christ, when he speaks and calls your name, they hear him. Isn't that significant? I'm going to read verse 7. I'll just tell you what happened, verse 17 and 18. When she realized it was Jesus, she fell at his feet, and she was holding on to him. And Jesus said, woman, let go of me. But he was not, not being mean. He wasn't, like, trying to kick her away. I mean, if you'd just seen Jesus crucified, and there he is, you'd have, the most worshipful thing you could do was not preach or sing. It was to bow down at his feet and grab him. That's exactly what the ladies did. And Jesus said, you need to get up. And, and you need to go tell the guys that I'm coming ahead of them, uh, and I will meet them later that I'm alive. And that's what she gets up and goes to. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, really important verses on the resurrection. For I deliver to you, this is of first importance, what I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, and that he was buried, you bury dead people, and that he was raised. That The word raised there literally means a bodily physically resurrection that Jesus got up from the tomb in accordance with the scriptures. In verse 6, it says this, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. What, what God was saying through Paul there is, listen, Jesus Christ literally, everything about Christianity rises and falls on this. He arose from the dead. 500 people saw him at one time. If you don't believe me is what he's saying, go talk to them. Some of them are dead. Most of them are still alive. C.S. Lewis was a, a great Oxford scholar, not Mississippi Oxford, Oxford, England. And, and he was a great writer, and he became a Christian as an adult. And he said the gospel, the good news, the great news, here it is, that Jesus died for your sins, but not only did he die, that he came back to life. He walked out of the tomb. And all the ramifications of that mean that you can be forgiven, you can be saved, you can have a second chance, you can have a 50th chance. That's the good news, and that is the truth this morning I want you to, to accept is that Jesus Christ came back to life. And man, that is the greatest news ever. 
And I want to personalize it for you and me this morning. This, this living Jesus, this living Savior, man, he can deliver you today. He can deliver you. He can rescue. Folks, listen, a dead hero can, can, can motivate you or be inspiration, but they can't help you. A, a dead religious person's not going to come and pull you up. But a living Lord and a living Savior can help you. Some of you know this morning you need help. You might not admit it, but you know you do. You know that you're lost in here. You know your marriage is in trouble, your family's in trouble, your life's in trouble. And if something doesn't happen, it's not going to end well. I want to tell you, Jesus can help you. You don't need to live in hopelessness. I saw a little bit from a book written by a psychiatrist this week called Dying of Despair. Here's what the psychiatrist said. The worst state to be in is not being diagnosed with a a bad illness, which is bad. The worst state is not to lose your job, which is never fun. The worst state a person can be in is a state of hopelessness. When people feel there's no hope, when there's no way out, that's when it's a really dark hole. Listen, I want to tell you there's hope today. I don't know your personal situation, 98% of you, but I know this. I know there's hope. Some of you this morning are saying, I don't need to be delivered from anything. Preacher, what are you talking about? You know, here's one of the coolest things I've seen happen. I've, I've seen it happen to other churches. I've seen it happen in this church a number of times. Somebody come in on a Sunday morning like this, and after church they become a Christian. They get right with God. Their life has changed. And they'll say something like this to me. Man, the last thing in the world I was thinking was I was going to have a God encounter today. The last thing I was thinking was that I was going to become a Christian today or my life would be changed. They weren't expecting it at all. Isn't this great news that Jesus this morning, he may deliver some of you if you'll let him, and you weren't even expecting to be delivered. Wouldn't that be a great thing? I'm going to give you three ways this morning that Jesus needs to deliver you. All of us, one or two of these categories fit. Here's the first thing. He can save your soul. He can save your soul. What is your soul? Your soul's that part of you that's alive today. It's the part that reasons, that understands, that, that feels, that experiences. And the Bible says your soul is eternal. In other words, the, your soul is the part of you that's going to live forever, even in a, a wonderful place called heaven or a really not good place called hell. Your soul's eternal. And you may not realize this, but the Bible says without Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your soul's in trouble and you need to be saved today. If you're taking notes, John 3, 18, it's right after the beautiful John 3, 16. This verse isn't as pretty, but it's just as true. It says that if you believe, he that believeth is not condemned, stands in a good place with God. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Now, that doesn't mean judgy, condemning, like you think of some nerdy Christian doing to you or church. What that means is before I was a Christian, if you're not a Christian today, the Bible says you stand in a perilous spot right now, that you're in trouble. But listen, Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb to save you. Isn't that wonderful? If you're saved today, you are saved because Jesus came back to life and you accepted that. In verse 30 and 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you may believe, so that you will place your trust, faith, and commitment in Jesus Christ. Not just your mental acceptance, but your life in Jesus Christ's hands. And that believing in Jesus 
that he's the Son of God, you may have life in his name. Now, folks, the New Testament was written in Greek originally. And, and you don't have to know Greek to understand the Bible. Your English Bible is very accurate. The, the, the Greek language is just, it's, it's flavored and it's nuanced and it's interesting. They had two words for our word, word life. One word was bios, where we get biological life. The other one was zoe life, which, which meant a quality of life. Here's what Jesus was saying. Here's what the Bible was saying there. Jesus walked out of the tomb. He wants you to know that. He can give you life and abundant life here and forever. Isn't that great? That's why he came out of the tomb. That's, one of the, that's the primary foundational reason right there was to save you. Andrew Garfield is an actor. And it, it's interesting, in 2016, he played, he was the star in Hacksaw Ridge. Have you seen that movie? It's based on a true story. I'd I, I be careful about recommending it to you because it's kind of brutal, but it's, it's a great war movie if you're into war movies. In that same year, he played a priest in another movie. And I read this. This is a quote from him, and I don't know if he's given his life to Christ or not, but obviously God is working on his life. Listen to what he said. He said, man, I I want God to heal this feeling of emptiness I have. I feel like I don't have anything to offer to God that I can give God for it, but I've got an emptiness and a nothing, listen, a nothingness in my life that I want God to feel. Folks, that is a young man, an actor, a multimillionaire, famous, and he's saying none of those things are meeting the deep needs of my life. They never will. But you know who will? Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and walked out of the tomb for you. We're not going to look at it now. If you're taking notes in 1 Peter 15, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, it says this kind of little footnote. It says that Jesus uh, appeared to James. James, this James, was his half-brother. He went on to be the great preacher and leader of the, the church in Jerusalem. But here's an interesting fact. James wasn't even a Christian before the resurrection. He thought his brother was a nut going around saying he's a son of God. But then, you know what? When you see your brother brutally murdered and come back to life three days later, you buy into it. Amen? Man, Jesus can save you today. He can deliver you. He can deliver you. Here's the second thing that I think so many of us Christians need to hear. He can revive your relationship with him. You see, a lot, of, a lot of people in this room, you, you, are, you belong to Christ. Just like these disciples of Jesus belong to him. But truthfully, not condemningly, but truthfully, you're, you're not where you need to be. You're not, you're not where you once were with Jesus. And, and I'm, t- I'm going to tell you, that's where these guys were at this time. In verse 19 of chapter 20, on the evening of that day, this, that Sunday, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were afraid of the Jews. Man, they weren't revived yet by the resurrection. They didn't even buy into it. And Jesus comes and stands among them and says, Hey, peace, guys. I wonder if he did that. Peace, guys. Y'all not listening. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and they were glad. That word glad is understated. They were super glad that they saw him. Listen, man, they, they were revived. They were revived. In 1 Corinthians 15, 5, it says this, but then he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is Peter. Then to the 12. Peter had denied him three times. Peter had fallen hard. And Jesus makes a special resurrection appearance, a special one to Peter to, to, I think, to, to forgive him, to let him know he's forgiven, and to set him back on the right path. Listen, 
These guys weren't, we wouldn't say lost, but they had lost their way. Some of you this morning, you, you, you belong to Jesus, but you've lost your way. You're not where you once were with Christ. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just being honest. You're apathetic. We, we're, we're, we, we want God to follow us. Chapter 21, verse 19, a really interesting verse. Uh, we're going to talk about this more in a second. He, he said to Peter, you don't worry about John. You're going to die a death that glorifies me. And after this, he says, follow me. If you're taking notes, that word follow means cling to me, hold on to me, obey me, serve me. Obey me, serve me, follow me. The opposite of that word follow means to get ahead of someone or linger behind. You see, some of us who are Christians, man, at one point we followed God. We were behind him. We were clinging to him. And something happened. A lot of times we just think we're smarter than he is, so we run ahead of him. We got, you know, we, we're Jesus' Lord. Amen? That's what we think. Or, man, we're just lagging behind. We're, we're not following him like we should. You're a Christian this morning. Man, it's not just Easter. It's Easter. Jesus is alive. It's that fresh reminder to revive your relationship with him again. Write this down. Uh, this is such a, 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 man, it is a tough but such a true quote. The definition of backslidden. Now, backslidden can apply to a lot of different things. In the Christian life, a backslider is someone who moves away from God, who was once close to God and moves away. And, and this definition says if you've ever been closer to God than you are right now, you've backslidden. Wow. See, a lot of times we think the backslider is that person that hadn't been to church in a year and is out cursing God or whatever. Certainly it would be. But a lot of times the backslider is the person sitting in church. Sitting in church regularly, teach Sunday schools, active, deacon, active in the women's ministries who's just not where they should be. Listen, Jesus wants to revive your walk today. Let him do that. Let me give you one other thing that Jesus did for them and he wants to do for you and me. He, he can renew your life purpose this morning. Man, he can renew your purpose. He can, he can save you. He can revive your walk and he can renew your passion for life and why he's left you here. Listen, you're not still alive by accident. God wants to do something with you. In chapter 21, verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again. This is the third time he made himself known to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. We have a picture of the beautiful Sea of Galilee. It's also called the Lake of Gennesaret. You could read that. But the Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. Jesus shows up. Verse 2 and 3, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got to the boat, but they caught nothing. You fishermen need to pay attention. This is a great fisherman's chapter. But what was going on here? Scholars differ. Was, was, were they just, you know, bored and said, hey, let's just go fishing? Maybe. Did they just like to fish? Possibly. Peter was a professional fisherman before Jesus caught him. And, and I tend to lean, lean toward this. Peter had come back to Christ. He belonged to Christ. But, man, he was disillusioned. He wasn't certain what God wanted him to do. He, he did. He'd been told. He just lost vision of that. And a lot of people think when Peter said, let's go fishing, he was saying, you know, man, being a missionary and a preacher and serving God like that was great, but I'm just going to love Jesus and I'm going to fish for a living. 
They fish all night, and they, they, they didn't catch anything. Any of you ever experienced that kind of thing? Makes you want to go fishing, doesn't it? The next morning, some stranger shows up on the shore, and the stranger says, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Now, if I'd been fishing all night and someone said that to me, I might want to say some things to them, wouldn't you? We never thought about that, pal. Thank you. So they do it, and they, they got their net is just busting. It doesn't bust, but it's just overflowing with fish. And they clue in, that must be Jesus. Hey, when you go fishing, pray when you get in the boat. He knows where the fish are. Amen? He doesn't tell me a lot of times, but he knows. And then they say, that's Jesus. And Peter jumps in the water, swims to shore. Jesus makes some breakfast. Isn't that the coolest thing? Who cooked breakfast this morning, Jesus? Fish and biscuits? Wow. You had, had breakfast with Jesus. What a cool thing. And then they begin to walk, and Jesus is, is fixing to repurpose Peter here. In, in verse, now, now, I'm going to read this to you. Remember, the New Testament was, was originally written in Greek. The Greek had three words, three or four words for our one word, love. Eros is a sexual word that's not ever found in the Bible, but the two words in the Bible that are prominent are agape, which is a great word for love, which is an unconditional love of loyalty. I choose to love you. I'm never letting go. And another prominent word was the word phileia, which was a brotherly love, which was a warm, affectionate love. And, and I want to I read to you how this would have sounded to, to Jesus and Peter and the significance. Put that on the screens if you would. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? P- Peter, do you have an unconditional, never-dying loyalty to me? I mean, Peter's cocky. He'd been in the past, right? I'll never fail you. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I have a warm, affectionate love for you. Feed my lambs. This is what I want you. I don't want you catching fish for a living. I want you to feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you have an unconditional, undying loyalty love for me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I have a warm affection. He wasn't going to get cocky this time, was he? I have an affectionate love for you. Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, and he backs off. He says, do you phileo me? Do you have a, a warm, affectionate love for me? Peter was grieved. Peter was cut to the heart, is what that means. Because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love, I phileo, I have a warm, affectionate love for you. Feed my sheep. What was, what was Jesus trying to get at? Was he saying, Peter, do you love me more than these other guys do? I don't think so, because Jesus is not into comparisons, that you're a better Christian than somebody else. Did, was he asking him, Peter, do you love me more than you love these guys? You see, part of the problem since the beginning of time is a lot of us do love people, and we should, but we just love people more than we love God. It's never right. He may have been looking at those boats and saying, Peter, do you love me more than you love your business and your boats and your fishing? Peter said, yeah, Lord, I love you. You know I do. And see, some of us this morning, Jesus is saying that to you. To you. Man, do you really love me like you should? And if you do, man, I want you, to, I want you to get on purpose back with me. And verse 20 and 22 are great verses. But Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. See, John keeps saying that, doesn't he? 
the one who also leaned back against him at the Lord's Supper. Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, Peter said, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, it's not my will. If it's my will, he remains till I come. What is that to you? You follow me. Doesn't that just sound like us? Peter had just been told by Jesus, I've got a great plan for your life. By the way, you're going to die a horrible death, but you're going to glorify me. People are going to be changed. People people are going to be talking about you 2,000 years later if you will follow me and obey me. And John is, Peter's just like us. He goes, what about him? What about him? And don't you love what Jesus says? Quit worrying about him. You follow me. You unconditionally grab my hand and you don't let go. Listen, Jesus has a reason for you being here. You have to know him. You have to be sold out to him. But you need to spend your life following him and his purpose for your life and what he's left you here to do. Listen, I, I read this this week, and it's so good. The ultimate goal is for, not, for you not to say, well, I serve God. The ultimate goal is for you to follow God's will for your life and serve God. You see, there's people that are, that are teaching a Sunday school class every week that are exactly where God wants them. There's people who are teaching a Sunday school class every week that are supposed to be in Africa as foreign missionaries. It's not good enough just to serve God. You need to find God's will for your life and serve God. Listen, that's what God has for you. An old theologian years ago, listen to this beautiful quote. He said, the place that God calls you to, what God calls you to do is the place where your deep happiness, your deep joy, and the world's deep hunger meets. What God wants you to do is where you're going to truly be satisfied. And that's where you're going to make a difference in this world. You see, Jesus walked out of the tomb. And one of the things he did 2,000 years ago and he wants to do today is to get your life back on purpose for him. There's a family that was going to church on one Easter Sunday. And the dad was telling the kids the story of Jesus dying, Jesus arising, Jesus coming back to life. And when he finished, the three-year-old, you know, kids take things real literally. He asked, he said, Daddy, is Jesus going to be in church this morning? And the dad smiled and he thought, yeah, he sure is. You know, I love that because that's the coolest thing. Jesus is here this morning, folks. Jesus is here. He is alive. He is here. And he's wanting to save you and and to get you back living for him and to repurpose your life if you will just say yes to him. Will you please do that today? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, man, come back to God. Let him use you. Let him do with your life what he wants. If you're not a Christian or if you're unsure if you're a Christian, but you're ready today to give your life to Jesus, pray with me. Pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I accept that you're the Son of God and that you died for me and that you arose for me. Come into my heart. And Jesus, I surrender my life to you.